Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Come on, social family. How are we doing today? It is such a blessing, such a delight. If you'll stay standing for just a moment, I just wanted to say, I just want to get a look at you. Y'all are beautiful. And it is an answer to prayer and a joy to, to get to spend this day with you here. I don't know if you're aware or getting to see it or be a part of it every day, every week. This is an amazing church. You guys are an amazing church that Jesus is building using each and every one of you. And it's just clear to me that God loves Dallas. When I see you, it's clear to me God loves this city because look what an army he has raised up to show his love to this city for such a time as this in this world. And so Father, we're, we're swept off our feet in your presence. The ministry of music and prayer, waiting. I've no, I'm not sure I've ever been in a church where there's been such a spaciousness to the worship no sense of hurry, all the time in the world, leisure in your presence. And so thank you, Father, for the freedom that you're able to actually give into our, our souls, our spirits, our lives. When we don't rush in and rush out between bites of our bagels, sips of our lattes, but when we actually are generous with our time with you, God. So thank you now as we shift our focus to your word. We believe, God, you've already ministered to us and now you're gonna to speak to us loud and clear. Thank you for this work. Thank you for the sacrificial, gritty, scrappy spirit of Social Dallas. And I thank you, God, that they're just getting started. What you want to do, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of a man the things you have prepared for this church that so clearly loves you. And I pray your rich blessing on the Madu family. I pray your rich blessing on the entire staff and serve team and volunteer team and every single person giving and praying and tirelessly working through all the different venues, through all the different early mornings and late nights and prayers. And, and God, I just thank you for all that you're gonna do in the coming days through this genuine move of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your name. And we all agreed together and said, amen. You may be seated. We are really, I mean what I said, thank you so much team. Uh, just in awe from across the country, watching this story unfold, knowing your pastors from before they planted this and to see it happen. And in these last three, just few, it's unbelievable to think this is just a few years old. Y'all are like a toddler, but you're a big Frankenstein toddler because look around. I mean, this is ridiculous. And God is uh, just on the move here. And so when Pastor Robert asked, we were like, absolutely. Can't wait to be here. Can't wait to see what God's doing. 
And we're so thankful to have been on the receiving end of, of one of these kind of weekends. You know, when you're expecting to hear Pastor Robert preach and just a guest, it's like it's kind of frustrating. But let me just tell you, as a local pastor who's had Pastor Robert come in and be one of those weekends that you were bummed to not get that gift, thank you for weekends like this where you share the gift that God has given you in your leader with other churches. Because, man, being on the receiving end, we're so thankful for those kind of sacrificial Sundays where he's poured out somewhere else and we can't wait. Honestly, we're actually going to have Pastor Robert back next summer uh, to preach at our movement conference. We do a summer conference every summer in a rodeo arena, and we have youth come in from around the country. So uh, we're going to be just eagerly having him back, and it's just a gift every week, I know, to hear and be a part of Pastor Taylor, Pastor Robert's ministry. Come on, where's the social women at? The Y'all have just been rebranded as the table, which is incredible. It's one of my favorite words. I'm actually, when I get home, I'm starting up a five-week-long preaching series all about the table, all about what it means to, to come to the table. I believe that's one of the best metaphors that exists for the church. And so I know just there's such a spirit of simpatico, Taylor, with that, that theme and heart. And so I just love what God's doing here. Anyhow, just amazing. I could go on gushing about what a big fanboy I am of this church, because I really am. Some people have like bucket lists, like things they want to see, like the Grand Canyon or go, you know, scuba diving in Australia. I got churches I want to see because this is what Jesus is building. This is the only thing on earth that will last into eternity, the church of Jesus Christ. And so I'm inspired, full of faith. And I got a message. If you have a Bible, Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you want to turn there, Judges chapter 6. Um, let me quickly reference a couple resources. Uh, we brought with us some resources. I believe so much in books. God has changed my life through books, and so we've given our lives over to publishing and writing to help people. Uh, any parents here? Any kids? Any parents in the house? That's right. We got our newest kids' book, Roar Like a Lion. This is a devotional for families to use to build up a courageous faith in your home. It's hard to teach your kids about Jesus. It's hard to teach Bible stories, and we want to make it easy, so we brought some of these. There's a table where we have them for you to grab if you have kids with you. And then my newest book, uh, The Last Supper on the Moon, is available as well. This is, I'm going to talk out of a theme from this book today. It's all about how we can lift our eyes up to outer space and find help to deal with the battles we face in our inner space, in the inside of our hearts, in the inside of our lives. And so both of these are here. If you are looking for a new read or if you're a parent, I hope they would bless you. But the title of my message today is a question. It's who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That's usually a question we ask to other people, right? Usually when they've offended us, like someone cuts in line, you may not say it out loud, but you're thinking, you're thinking who do you think you are? You don't have to wait. You think you're more important. You just kind of saunter in. Or how about when you're on the airplane and the person behind you, this is a personal pet peeve of mine, takes off their shoes, just ew, gross, right? Keep them on. And then puts their bare feet up on the armrest. Have you ever had this happen? You sense like someone's presence behind you. You look and it's just little piggies. You're like, no, no, thank you. Who do you think you are? This isn't your private plane. Keep your nasty toes to yourself. Anybody with me that that's not allowed? Who do you think you are? The other day, my kids and I, my oldest Olivia is here. She's 17. Everyone say hi, Olivia. She's in the front row and is amazing. Her, her younger sister, Daisy and Clover, uh, and I were playing tennis. 
and we were just, you know, hitting the tennis ball back and forth. And uh, I looked up, and you know how tennis nets, you can kind of see through them, but kind of not? Well, I could see through the net enough to know there was a man changing in the parking lot. And I saw he took off his shirt. I'm like, oh, he's not changing. He's fully changing. Has, he starts to take his pants off. Oh, my gosh. And he, the man gets buck naked in the parking lot 10 feet from my 10-year-old daughter. I who do you think you are, sir? <laughs> he's changing into his tennis clothes, but is standing there fully naked, putting his... I come running out of that court with my racket still in my hand. I don't know what I thought I was going to do, but I said, I said, bro, you can't be naked in public. He said, it was just for a second. I go, a, a second of indecent exposure. My daughter's 10 feet from you. I think at that point he saw my tennis racket and the crazy look in my eye, he, did, he chose to back down. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, don't let it happen again. Could you say to your neighbor, who do you think you are? Now, when we normally ask that question, we ask it of other people. But today, Social Dallas, I want you to ask it to yourself. I want you to get into the habit of, of regularly interviewing yourself and asking yourself, who do you think you are? Because listen to me very carefully, very few things on this earth will impact the outcome of your life more than your answer to that question. Who you think you are. In Judges 6, God uh, speaks a powerful word to someone and he addresses this very topic, identity. His name is Gideon, and his story comes at a powerful point in the Bible when God's people, the Israelites, were being oppressed by the far superior Midianite army. The Midianite army was massive, 135,000 soldiers, and the Israelites had no way to, uh, to defeat them in, in the battlefield. And God is about to overthrow the Midianites. God is about to bring salvation to his people as he does through a very unlikely place. His name is Gideon, and he has no idea, but God's about to change everything about his life and then use him to do incredible things. And I believe God, through this story, is going to speak a word to you today. You know, one of my favorite promises in Scripture is Proverbs 6, 6, which says, go to the ant Consider her ways and be wise. One of the most important things about the ant is that ants are aware of seasons. Ants lay up for themselves food in one season so they have that food in the next season. And if we can learn how to determine seasons, we'll be ready for what God has for us next. And one of the best ways we can do that is by treasuring up revelation from God's Word. And I want to caution you as you open up God's Word this week or next week, no matter who's preaching, but when you open up Scripture, you need to not only be aware of this season, but be aware of coming seasons. You see, a lot of us, we respond to something that really touches us. We say, that's my word. That, that was for me. But I would just say to you, you have no, with all due respect, you have no clue what you actually need from God's Word one moment to the next. And what you might feel like is the most important part of the sermon for you could completely change depending on what comes your way this week. And so what we need to do is we need to have a healthy reverence and awe for God's Word, that He knows what we need, not just for this season, 
but for the season that we don't even know is coming. Because listen to me carefully, you are always in training for trials that you're not yet in. And so as we open up our hearts to what God wants to say to us, let's be like the ant, being aware of coming seasons. Oh, here's something, I needed to tell you this as well. One of my favorite things about ants is that they have two stomachs. Did you know that? They have two stomachs, their own personal stomach, and the second one, Pastor Taylor, is called the social stomach. That's right, whenever ants find food, they fill up their stomach for themselves, because you're no use to your neighbor if you don't have your own mask on first. So they fill up their own stomach, but then they fill up their second stomach in case they meet anybody out there in the street who needs something that they found. So how many of you are ready to fill up both of your stomachs today, not knowing who in your life is going to need this word, and you'll be positioned to share it with them? I just had to share that with you because it's called the social stomach, and here we are. All right, let's fill up both of our stomachs with Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11. Remembering the Midianite army is in control of the Israelite people. And God's word says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, Winfrey, that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son, here he is, our unlikely hero, Gideon, everyone say Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. Notice verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord, notice, has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, those are two words that should never go together, by the way. But Lord, right? That's like saying, no God. It's like icy hot. It's an oxymoron. If he's Lord, then just do what he says, right? But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, here we go. Some of you who object to all the things that God wants to do through you, you got your laundry list of reasons why it can't work. Here's what he says. I will be with you. How many of you believe the presence of God is more powerful than anything on this earth that you could possibly have? If God be for us, who can be against us? God says, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So based on this interaction, Gideon accepts the job that God gives him of being in the Lord's army. And since he's going to defeat the Midianites, he started out by himself, so he goes out and he recruits. Want to join my army? Want to join my army? Want to join my army? And he manages to get together 32 thousand soldiers. Pretty good, except they're going up against how many? 135,000. So 30,000 is good. That's better than rolling solo, okay? But against 135,000, you are outnumbered four to one. 
So it still seems impossible. It still seems daunting. Even following God, it still seems like, how is this possibly going to work? But then the craziest part of the whole story happens. If you flash forward to Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So God tells Gideon to stand in front of his 32,000 and tell them, hey, attention, please. Is anybody scared? And anybody who is scared raises up their hands, and it's 20,000 of them. And God says, tell all the 20,000 they can just go home. We don't need them. So they all walk off. Now Gideon is standing with only 10,000 left, and God says, Gideon, there's a problem with the numbers. And, God's, and Gideon's thinking, yeah, I know there's a problem with the numbers. He, I'm peeing myself here, God. We're dead. And God says, no, there's, there's just too many of you. If you fight them with 10,000, you're going to think it was all you. It's going to go to your head. You'll think you did this with your power. I can't let you fight them with 10,000, Gideon. <clears throat> At this point, Gideon's thinking, could you please call someone else? <clears throat> and God says, tell the men to take a drink of water from this creek. And the men who get down to the creek and they put their mouth in the water and drink it this way are put into one side. <clears throat> and the men who stand like this and drink the water with their hand are put on another side. And that group is only, get this, 300 soldiers. And God says, tell the men who got down on their face and drank from the water, they can go home. I only want the ones who were on their knees. How many of you know God always wants the ones who are on their knees? And so with those 300, God says, now you're ready. Gideon is no longer just peeing himself. He also needs a new pair of underwear for entirely different reasons. Because God says with just 300, just that tiny little fraction of an army, you're going to go up against the Midianites, 135,000 strong. And of course, spoiler alert, those of you who have read the Bible, you know how this story ends. Gideon's 300 are able to defeat the Midianites with God's power in one of the greatest upsets in military history. How many of you know that the battle belongs to the Lord? They don't even lift a finger. God does it all in quietness and in confidence. All they do is yell and break clay pots and hold up flaming torches. And God causes such a fear to come upon the Midianites that in their haste to leave and flee, they end up defeating themselves entirely. And it's an amazing story, and it's very inspiring, and it's like an old school version of, you know, remember the Titans, and Denzel Washington's there, and we are the Titans, mighty, mighty Titans. This is, it's amazing. It's like, it's like watching the mighty ducks, quack, 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 Gordon Bombay. We're all, we're all very inspired now, but, but I want to talk to you about Gideon's own personal journey, because I'm convinced that this entire episode, this entire strange sequence of events was entirely arranged to focus on what was happening in Gideon. You see, because our God is far more concerned with the work he is doing inside of you than the work that he is doing through you. And if you let God build your life up, if you let God take care of your character, 
There is no end to what God can do through your gifts and through your talent and through your abilities. And God custom built this entire strange sequence of events. Here's what I'm convinced, and it's perfect with Halloween tomorrow, to get Gideon to drop the mask, to get Gideon to take the mask off, to, to get him to stop pretending he was someone he wasn't and to actually be who God had, had created him to be. And it's a perfect moment in time for us to, to address the same topic and to ask the question, who do you think you are? Halloween's a funny day, really. And I love the bounce houses and the candy. We were in worship, and this little girl next to me has this entire enormous bag of candy, and dentists around the world are very excited about this day, I'm sure. Job security, after all. But it's a funny day, and, and, and in a way, I realize this is a hot take. In a way, Halloween is perhaps the most spiritual day of the entire year. Now, let me qualify that. And let me admit that I grew up in a very religious home where we were not allowed to celebrate Halloween. Anybody else with me? Like, that was the devil's day. And yeah, I, look, at, here's how hardcore my, my, my home was. I wasn't even allowed to go to the hallelujah night because my, parent, my mom was like, mm-mm, I can tell, arose by any other name. No, no, that's still the devil's day. You're, you end up going to hallelujah day. That, that's, that, that worship still goes to the devil at the end of it all. So what do you mean that Halloween's the most spiritual day of the year? Here's what I mean. I mean, on Halloween, we actually wear masks outwardly and openly show to the world, I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. The other 364 days of the year, we wear our masks on the inside and we pretend we're not wearing them at all. And God wants us to drop the mask. God wants us to actually face up to the question, who do you think you are? Who, who actually do you think you are? Do you understand your identity? Gideon's mask is, to me, the mask of the person who's afraid, the, the fear mask. This is the mask of the victim. This is the mask of a person who's been through some things, and that built the mask that Gideon wore. When God comes to him, he's hiding in a wine press indoors, by the way, picture a barn. And inside that wine press, he's threshing wheat. Now, I don't know how many of you thresh wheat on the regular. So let me just, for the few of you who don't know what this means, tell you how you thresh wheat. You take a pitchfork and you get a bunch of wheat and you throw it up in the air and you usually do this in a place where there's a big wind, kind of like we have today, rushing through, and the wind separates the chaff from the wheat because the, the kernel of the grain is heavy, it falls to the ground, and the wrapper, the chaff, the outside, the garbage part, like basically when you shut corn, you get the leaves to one side, you get the good corn to the other side. That's what you're trying to do when you thresh. You're trying to separate the precious from the worthless. And because the worthless weighs nothing, the wind is able to carry it away. And so you have to imagine Gideon's threshing wheat, but he's doing it indoors. Do you realize how pathetic that is? What are you missing indoors? Wind. You need a wind. Usually you would do it up on a hillside where the wind would blow through and then all the, the grain would fall and the, the garbage would just blow away. So if you're indoors doing this, either he's got a little fan in his hand or even more pathetic is the thought that he's throwing it up in the air and throwing it up in the air and just to get a little snack. And he's doing it because he's afraid. 
Because whenever the Midianites knew the Israelites were threshing, they would rush in and steal it all, impose a huge tax on them. It's kind of like Robin Hood style, like Sheriff of Nottingham comes in and takes basically exorbitant taxes. So he's hiding, afraid inside. And even when God comes to him and says, I'm with you, what does he say? He says, if you're really with me, if God is really with me, then why has all this happened to me? Because of the brutality and the hardships he had faced, he had developed a mask based on fear. And his fear mask was the mask of a victim. The person who started to have fused together the hardships of life and who they are. And if enough hard things happen to us, it's possible that we develop a mask based on our victimization that we are the hard things that we have faced, that we are one and the same with the difficult things that have happened to us. And some of us are reticent to allow God to heal us fully because we wouldn't even know life without our wounds. This is why Jesus had to ask the man at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be made well? And when you read that in the Bible, it seems, man, how insensitive to ask somebody, do you want to be made well? But not everyone who's down wants to get up because to get up would, would mean having to take responsibility for themselves, to actually having to move forward. But as long as you still see yourself through the lens, through the mask of your victimization of what's been taken from you, then you're justified to stay where you are, justified to stay selfish, justified to continue to cope however you're coping. Once you're, you're, you're healed, once you're, you're strong, then you have to take, actually answer for your own actions, take responsibility for yourself and to move forward. So Gideon's content to stay where he is, on the ground, hiding in this barn. He's wearing the mask of the victim. But that's not the only mask that we wear. Some of us, we wear the mask of the hero. And the mask of the hero is the mask that we put on whenever we look for the victims to help. Where we're the strong ones in our family. Everyone's depending on us. We put on that hero mask. Don't worry, I got it. You can't take care of your own. I'm, I'm again going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm not going to help you do it for yourself. I'm just going to swoop in and help you. I'm going to swoop in and catch the fish for you and not teach you how to fish. Some of us have had to be strong. Some of us have had to grow up too quickly. So we've developed this hero mask, this tough exterior, this I, I'm strong. I, I can keep it all together. I can keep all the balls in the air. But this is exhausting exhausting to have this hero mask on. It's also impossible. It's impossible to keep it going for long. In fact, Jesus said as much. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 2 in the message translation. He said to the Pharisees, you can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. And for those of us who our go-to mask is I, I'm strong enough, I'm, I'm big enough, I, I have enough faith for both of us that we put that mask on, eventually what happens is the hero begins to resent the person that he's helping, the person that he's rescued, or the person that she has rescued. And in that situation, it ends up being cyclical because the person who's got that victim mentality is, tends to be drawn to the person who's the hero, but then the hero resents that that person needs him, so he or she further victimizes that person or oppresses them or freezes them out, and that causes the cycle to just continue. But some of us, 
we put that hero mask on. For others of us, there's the mask that just sort of buries our emotions and causes us, no matter what we're dealing with, to sort of just put a smile on it. I'm fine. This is the, this is the I'm fine mask. This is the person who doesn't want to have hard conversations, the person who, you know, avoids any outburst of emotion. Maybe like me, you had to face your parents' divorce. For me, I was only a freshman in high school when my parents' marriage began to crumble. And watching my mom pack up and move out at Christmas time, I developed an exterior that was sort of a, a, a protective plate of armor. And it was a way to keep myself from getting hurt. I'm fine. Nope, it's good. No, I don't really even care. People would ask me, hey, didn't your parents just get divorced? Did that affect you? Not at all. I'm, I'm fine. You know, it, it happens. The I'm fine mask, where the armor plating just goes up. The moment there's someone who gets too close, you, you, you find yourself sort of cooling in your affection. You find, you find yourself pulling back a little. I'm fine. Everything's okay. Anyone crying? No, no, hey, stop crying. Stop. No, 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 that's bad. That's bad. Any emotion at all, anything that's difficult, any hard conversation that I'm fine, mask goes up, no sense of real vulnerability, no real being known. Then, of course, there's the, the clone mask. This mask was a mask I learned to put on in high school, where I knew I needed to fit in by being exactly like the group of people that I wanted to be able to sit with. In middle school, I remember looking out at the lunch area and, and feeling so alone and feeling so exposed and feeling I didn't have people. So I learned to mimic behavior. Okay, what are they wearing? How are they dressing? How are they talking? I can become a clone. I can do that. And we, I would love to say that you get out of middle school and that, that, that behavior all goes away. But for all of us, no matter where you go, there's always a group of cool kids we want to fit in with. At work, I want to be like them. I want to, I want to afford what they afford. I want, to, I want to be as important as them. And so we tend to learn to drop the clone mask anytime we need to become a chameleon and fit in over here. And the same thing happens even at times, sadly, inside the church. I just got to be like this. I need, I'm, going to, I'm going to stifle who I really am, the gifts that God's given to me. I told you about my, my obsession with the moon. I, wrote, I spent two and a half years focused on the moon. By the way, the moon rises at 1.38 p.m. in Dallas today. It's an amazing thing to see the moon rise up in the air. I spent two years focused on the moon because I believe, as Scripture says, when we lift our eyes up to see the heavens, it's a key to the inner space battles that we face. David said, when I look at the moon, I ask myself, who am I? Who do you think you are? But one of my favorite things about the moon is that in your entire life and mine, we have never seen the backside of the moon. The moon always keeps its backside hidden. It only, Mark Twain says, spins around the earth, keeping its damaged backside out of view. And when during the Apollo era, we finally went to the moon and saw it for the first time, I know there's, haters are going to say it's Photoshop. They found out the moon's backside is far more damaged than the front. There's craters on the backside of the moon so deep you could shove the Himalayas inside of them. And that's because any comets coming towards the Earth hit the backside of the moon that always, it always keeps away from us. So that whole saying about the dark side of the moon and the backside of the moon, that's where the damage is. But what an appropriate illustration of what we do in church when we, we spin around each other, just keeping the damaged backside out of the way, only allowing people to see what we have carefully curated to be a clone of their expectations of us. And we, 
we, we tidally lock like the moon is, spin around the people in our lives. We want to say that we're enough and give us approval, but we keep our damaged backsides carefully out of the way. So there's the clone mask that we've learned as a defense mechanism to fit in and not stand out by being just like them. Then of course there's the shiny party, money, whatever this represents to you, whatever shiny thing that you're tempted to go after. And I think what this ultimately represents, the shininess of this world, is numbing. Numbing with purchases, numbing with parties, numbing with substances. This is what people expect of me. This is what it would take to be happy. We, we, we learn to drop these masks. And then one of my go-to masks is the just everything's a joke mask. <laughs> I mean, because what's funnier than a giant head dancing, right? Anything to get a laugh. And I remember in middle school developing this kind of like class clown persona. Everything's a joke, just laugh it off, because I just was so full of thoughts of insecurity. How do I stack up? Am I enough? Do, and of course, this is all brewing because of what I'm facing at home and what I'm dealing with in my own personal life. And so for me, this, this sort of ability to just make everything a joke, just crack a joke, just get people laughing, because if I feel like you're laughing with me, then maybe you're not laughing at me. Now, of course, I don't know exactly which mask you deal with, or maybe I should say which mask you deal with on what day, because some of us have been wearing masks so long, we can't feel our face at all. I can't feel my face with you because I'm wearing a mask, right? We need a mask closet just to deal with our, all of our masks. We got a mask for this situation. We got a mask for that situation. And at some point, having gained the whole world, or so we thought, we lost ourselves. And we're trying to remember what mask we wear in what situation. Oh, I don't want to wear my church mask at home. I don't want to wear my, my home mask at work. I, I got to put this on. This is what people expect of me. This is who I've become. This is the, the person that I'm trying to be here. All these different masks. And scripture is full of people called to come out of hiding. Gideon's not the only one hiding in the barn, confused about who he really is. We have Adam and Eve hiding behind fig leaves. We have Jacob trying to steal a blessing from his father by dressing up and pretending he's his brother, wearing the Halloween costume of an Esau suit. You have in the, the, the New Testament, you have Peter lying about who he is because if he stands up as a follower of Jesus, it will cost him. So over and over again, he says, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus. God's calling us to come out of our costumes. There are four problems that I see with the masks that we wear. Problem number one, when we wear masks, people can't love you because they don't know you. People can't love you. We can't love you because we don't actually know you. The person that you're broadcasting yourself to be, how I end up becoming when I am acting a certain way because I think that's what I need to overcome my insecurities and to be enough. Because at the end of the day, that's why we put those masks on. Because we don't feel like we're enough. So I need to act this way in order to be loved, in order to not be damaged, in order to be welcomed. But what I, what I get there in that situation isn't love for me, it's love for a fake version of me. 
Jacob might have gotten Isaac to bless him wearing those costumes that he wore, but the blessing wasn't actually for him. And it wouldn't be until later when God broke him down, God actually literally wrestled him to the ground, breaking his hip in the process, that he changed his name and he was actually able to give a blessing to him for him because God blessed the real him. And he wants to do the same for you. So people can't love you if they don't know you. Secondly, <clears throat> jot this down. What you wear to obtain, you must wear to retain. And that's the real fatigue part of mask wearing. Because if I conjure up and, 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 and co carefully cultivate this version of me to get this job or to get this relationship, now I got to show up in costume every single day. I got I to gotta retain that relationship by wearing that mask, by being that fake version, that exhausting process of trying to continually keep that, that appearance up. And this, by the way, is eventually going to slip. It's eventually going to come out like Jesus said, which by the way is, for those of you who are single or, or dating or engaged, why you don't want to rush into marriage, rush into that relationship. You want to give a, a space enough of a time for the spanks to come off in Jesus' name, right? They can suck it in for a minute. But if you rush into relationship, you're going to think that you got Jacob and find out you got Esau. You're going to think you got Rachel, but wake up and go, oh, dang, it was Leah in a Rachel mask. And that's why one of the best places to do your dating and to do your courtship is inside the local church, serving on team, where you get to see how they respond to authority where you get to see can they show up and sacrificially serve day in and day out? Are they only excited to be a part of the church when it's a big boom time and all the favor and all the honors there? Or can they handle just serving in, in secrecy? You see, you want to find someone to marry that's going to be good for times that are better and not just for times that are worse, times that are richer and not just times that are poorer. You want to find someone to marry who will be faithful to you should, God forbid, one of you end up in a wheelchair or things don't go as you plan. And so inside the local church, in and out of seasons, you get to watch, are they a person who's just keeping that mask on? They, I, they, they, they know I'm a Christian because they saw that early on when we started dating. So I said, oh yeah, I've always loved Jesus. I go to church. Which one? Whatever one you go to, honey, I'll be there on Sunday. That, 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 that's a mask that they're wearing, maybe. But give it long enough to see, is there a real authenticity and a genuineness to their faith? Number three. The church is supposed to heal you, but we can't heal what you conceal. A lot of us develop these masks that we wear because of wounds, because of pain, because of difficulty and hardship we went through. And God intends for his blood to forgive you. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But James says that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to heal you. When you came forward to ask for prayer, many of you were confessing sins or asking for help with various needs. That's what we were seeing. We were seeing healing. When we confess and are open about who we really are to each other, we get healed. So we get forgiven from God, but a lot of people don't understand this. Healing comes from one another. 
Healing comes from being in a small group. Healing comes from being at the table. Healing comes from being on team. Healing comes from day in and day out being honest and raw and authentic with each other. And when I see that thing rising up again, I go, man, I'm struggling with that again. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you encourage me? Can I text you at 2 a.m. when I'm having a panic attack? That's how you get real healing one another. But we can't heal what you conceal. You can't be clean in that way if you won't come clean. So we have to have a church culture where we can drop the mask. And we don't have this, oh, yeah, I've got it all together. Everything's going great. Everything's totally fine. My faith is off the charts. We can't heal what you conceal. And most importantly, when you put a mask on, you mask yourself off from God's blessings. When I go to paint, and the devil is a liar, painting is the worst. I mean, anybody with me, painting a house, painting a room, that's just terrible. But when you paint, what do you first have to do? You have to mask off what you don't want paint on. So you take that blue masking tape, and you put it over the light switches. You take that blue masking tape, you look in the room, what are you saying? What do I not want paint on? I'm gonna put a mask on whatever I don't want paint on. So that later you can just paint indiscriminately because you've already masked everything off to protect it. So whatever I've put a mask on can't get any paint on it. God is seeking to anoint you with oil. God is seeking to paint you with his presence. God is seeking to bless you with his grace. Each and every single day, God's got new mercies to pour out on you, but he can't get any of his blessings on whatever you're wearing a mask and covering up. His blessings can't touch it. He can't anoint who you wish you were. He can't bless and use who you think you need to be. So if you've thought to yourself, here's what a person who really is awesome looks like, or here's what a person of faith looks like. For me, if I said, man, and when I get on the stage, no one preaches like Pastor Robert, so I'm gonna try and preach like Pastor Robert. God can't bless me pretending to be a clone of somebody else. Only when I'm naked and unashamed, only when I'm, not like the guy in the tennis court, metaphorically speaking. Poor choice of words. Only when I'm willing to authentically be who God created me to be can I operate in my gift with the anointing of God on my life. And you see this process in Gideon's life. God says, hey, Gideon, you mighty man of, va man, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, who, me? Because it's clear that's not how he thinks about himself. And then he gives God all the arguments why he can't really be a mighty man of valor. Because I've been through hard things. We, where were you when this happened? Where were you when this happened? That's how I developed my mask. So what does God say? God says, I'm with you. Is that not enough? I'm for you. Is that not enough? I, I, I'm going to go before you in this battle. Is that not enough? And what does Gideon say? Direct quote. Well, my clan is the smallest clan in all the tribes of Israel. And inside my tribe, my family is the weakest of all the families in that tribe. And the Lord turned to him because it's clear Gideon had turned away talking about his other family members that are bigger than him. He had his eyes on his buff uncle, his rich aunt. I'm not as strong as her. I'm not as gifted as them. God literally came to him and said, I'm going to use you to change the world. And he said, but I'm not as good as that person over there. So he's masking himself off from God's blessing. So God turns to him 
and says, have I not said I am with you? Comparison always kills contentment. As long as you have your eyes on other people, God can't use you like he wants to. So two solutions next time you're tempted to reach for your mask. Two solutions next time you're, you're, you're tempted to dress yourself up like who you think God wants to really use, because surely he made a mistake when he called you, like Gideon thought. First, remember this. The cure for insecurity is your true identity. The cure for insecurity is your true identity. Gideon said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So what did God say? It doesn't matter that you're not. I am. I am. Moses said to God, I can't go before you, be used by you to go speak because I'm not good at talking. What did God say? I am. Your true identity is not what you do, how beautiful you are, how much money you have, how charismatic you are. Those are all great things. Your true identity is you are loved by God. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's your identity. You're a child of the king. You're a prince or princess of the king of all the universe. That can't be taken away from you. Money comes and goes. Having the juice on your life comes and goes. Feeling like you're the, you're the, you're the prime of your life comes and goes. Being physically fit, being the quarterback, being that cheerleader, being the party, that comes and goes. You know what never changes? The love of God. The love of God. So, so your, your true identity will always overpower your insecurity. And then secondly, when you're tempted to put on your mask social, remember this, the secret to contentment is eye contact with your Savior. The true secret to contentment is eye contact with your Savior. Comparison kills contentment. When I look at what you have, all of a sudden what I have doesn't look so good. When I'm staring at what you've been given, it makes me feel pretty lousy about what I've been given. So how do I get my contentment back? I get my contentment back by eye contact with my Savior. Because listen to me, if the most powerful person in the universe, and you can do your own work and figure out who that is, in my opinion, that's Jesus Christ who rose up from that grave after dying on the cross and is coming back to judge the world with a rod of iron, who is the lion and the lamb, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the bright and morning star. If the most powerful person in the universe is in the room where you are and loves you, why do you have to worry about whatever room you're not invited into? Whatever place you're not, whatever house you can't afford, whatever you don't have. But if the most powerful person in the universe, if you're looking him in the eyes and he loves you, you're good. What mask do you need? What, what act do you need to come up with? What, what, do you, how, what swagger do you wish you had that you don't have? You're good because he's with you and he loves you and he didn't make a mistake when he picked you. And that, by the way, is why I believe God wouldn't let Gideon go fight with 32,000 soldiers. Because even called by God, his army he had built up had become a mask. He had amassed an army, and that was now his mask, because that's what generals look like. 
But if God wanted a general, he would have gone to West Point. He wanted a farmer. He wanted someone who didn't know what he was doing. Gideon thought God made a mistake when he picked the least and the smallest, but God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. So God didn't, God didn't pick Gideon and go, oh, oh, we'll straighten out that weakness. We'll get you strong. Then you can really do great things. God wanted to use him weak. God wanted to use him foolish. God wanted to use him in his overalls, a shepherd boy to take down the giant. That's how God rolls. A lunchbox to feed 5,000. That's how God rolls. A virgin teenage girl to bring the Savior into the world. That's how God rolls. And God picked you. Not thinking, we'll, we'll work on those other things and get them. No, 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 no right there in the dark part of your moon that you want to keep hidden. What makes you weird also makes you wonderful. What makes you different, what makes you peculiar is all a part of the unique chemistry that God wants to use to, to, to make great much fame of Jesus in this world through your life. So keep eye contact on your Savior. And what should you remember every time you lift up your eyes and you see the moon? You should remember the cross. One of the great ways to, to remember that for me, and the reason I called the book The Last Supper on the Moon, is because in 1969, the first time man ever set foot on the moon, Buzz Aldrin took communion with him. And just before Neil Armstrong stepped out of the lunar lander and stepped on the moon, that, that one amazing step for all mankind, all of that, First, Buzz took wine and took bread, and he read from John's Gospel, John 15, 5, and then took bread and took wine and remembered what Jesus had done. And so literally, communion, this was the first thing ever eaten on the moon. The first thing man ever ate there was the Last Supper. So every time I lift my eyes up and see the moon, it's a reminder to me of the blood that was shed for me. It's a reminder to me of the body of Jesus broken for me, because nighttime seems to be hard for dreams and fear, and, and am I going to make it through? Are my kids going to be okay? But when I lift my eyes and see the moon, I remember God's got it under control. Let me close with a story. My daughter Clover, my youngest daughter, and I were on the beach once, and she said, Dad, let's pick up shells. And so we went out and she was picking up shells. She had so many shells and she looked at me like, what's the matter with you? Because I didn't have any shells yet. She said, Dad, why haven't you picked up any? I said, honey, I'm trying. I can't find any good ones. They're all broken. All of these are damaged. I'm only seeing fragments of shells. And she clutched her bag to her, her heart and she looked at me almost offended and she said, Dad, broken shells are beautiful too. You see, I was skipping over what she was lovingly bringing into her life. Because Clover is like Jesus. He's not looking over you, going, I wish you weren't damaged. I wish, I wish you weren't broken. I wish you didn't have craters on the backside. I wish, I wish this hadn't happened to you. Otherwise, I would use you. But I can't use someone who's been sexually assaulted. I can't use someone who's been neglected. I can't use someone who's been divorced. You're damaged. No, God is saying, I am picking you up because broken people are beautiful too.
And so we can drop the mask, and we can stop operating out of our ego, and we can stop auditioning for what we already have and can never lose. We can instead stand strong on the love of God and be defined by the price that was paid for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we can proudly let God use the comet-streaked surface of our lives to bring him glory in Jesus' name. Come on, in Jesus' name. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.